Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And now your host, a random goal she has is to design an app one day, Dr. Grace Lee. Welcome to another episode of Career Revisions Podcast. Today I have a special guest and his name is Grant Aldrich. And we met through an introduction on LinkedIn. Actually, I didn't know him prior to that and we hadn't met in person before, although he did tell me I looked familiar, but it turns out we did not go to the same university. So Grant is a founder. He is CEO and founder of Online Degree and really it was an answer to his personal mission to make college more accessible and affordable for everyone. And it's interesting because I was introduced to him and I went on to his LinkedIn profile and I thought that I have a lot of questions to ask him. I'd love to have a discussion with Grant around academia, around college and formal education, because things are changing in the way that I see it. I feel that you know, uh, formal education, the education system is no longer the default. It cannot be. And there's so much information out there that can be gleaned and self-education is going to be really the new norm. And so I had this conversation with Grant and we talked about academia. And so this is for you. This, This episode is really for you if you are thinking about going to college or if you are currently in college and wondering, well, what can be done about my degree? Because I am going to graduate and I'd love to know what the prospect of of a formal education, that four-year degree, the accreditation is going to be in the future. I'm interested in that conversation. Or maybe you have children who are thinking about college, and that is what they're considering. So Grant and I had a really amazing discussion. I invite you to really be present as we talk about, no, we have no holds barred around our discussion around our own college degrees and what it means today and what it could mean for the future. So tune in and thank you for listening and we'll get right to it. Hey Grant, it's awesome to speak with you and thank you for being a guest on my podcast. Grace, thank you for having me. I know we were introduced by a mutual friend and I, you know, saw your profile, you know, I went to your website and I was like, oh, you have a very interesting history. You have a lot in common in terms of being college grads and being kind of in this business in this space of academics. So that's why I was really interested in talking to you and getting some of your insights and your thoughts on that. Oh, well, thank you. You're being kind, by the way. That put me on the same level as you. But yes, I, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> awesome. So well, before we begin, Grant, if you could just share with us and our listeners and, and viewers as well, just to give us a 10,000 foot view on the journey you took to get to where you are at right now. You know, you're, you're an entrepreneur. Right, but we also went to university, and we, you know, we were traditionally trained in that sense. But give us a ten thousand foot view on where you were and how the journey you took to get here. Okay, yeah, I'll give you the quick one. So, I'm, I'm, this, I'm a little different in that from a very young age, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, hmm. and so you know, and I, it really, it was, it was rooted in that I, I wanted freedom, which is weird because I'm not talking, I'm not referring to the adolescence sense of freedom, like. I want to go to bed anytime that I want. I want to eat junk food all day. I really had from a young age, this holistic view that I wanted to have freedom. And I knew that entrepreneurship would be a vehicle to get that, um, you know, to give me that unfettered creativity, the, the mobility and all these things. But what's funny about that is that I actually didn't know what that really meant because I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my life. I didn't have anybody I could learn 
all these key things from? My parents were teachers. And so I think that I, I wanted to be a entrepreneur because of what I saw in their lives, that they were very, um, you know, regimented because of that. And they didn't get to have full creativity. And yet at the same time, uh, you know, I didn't really know what that was. So now I went to, I went to college. I got into an incredible amount of debt going into a, uh, you know, a top public school, which I thought would even save me a bunch of money, which it did not. And then from there on, I jumped right into a career of startups. And I've been in startups ever since, um, going from, you know, degree in economics to a career in internet startups. And from day one, struggled to figure everything out as an entrepreneur. See, I love what you said in terms of you've always been wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I'm taking it was before you started college that you had that inclination. Is that correct? Very much. Okay. At that time, could you go back to that? And could you define for us, kind of like describe to us what entrepreneurship meant to you at the time that you wanted to go into it? What did it, what did it mean to you then? And is it different now that you're in it? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Well, that's what's so entertaining thinking back about it, because when I looked at it, I looked at it as I looked at only the benefits, the rosy parts and all the other parts I just didn't know anything about. Like I looked at it as, which is true, you're in charge. So you get to decide. Um, you get the freedom to um, express yourself and the freedom to um, take advantage of all the benefits that you get. Like I, I, I kind of had the inklings of the benefit side. Of course, I didn't see how hard it is and all the things that it takes to actually uh, make all those things manifest themselves. Mm-hmm. So that was the part that, of course, in my youthful ignorance, didn't know. And so now today, I would actually say that um, the, there are more benefits than I thought there were. It was even more than I even probably dreamed, but that the, the realities of it are very difficult and that, you know, these aren't things that should stop people from taking the first step, but that they should embrace and, and understand beforehand to prepare themselves. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to someone if you met someone who was in, who was in your shoes that long ago and they were earlier in their career and they told you, I think I want to be an entrepreneur and Mm. they haven't started college yet. And they, and they were in, they were talking to you that I think I want to be an entrepreneur. And I know I want, I've always wanted to be, what would you, what would your advice be in terms of helping them to think through if that is a choice, the career path they want to go, go, go down? Yeah. I think the first question they would ask is what's your goal? Because I think a lot of people misinterpret of what being an entrepreneur is. And so I'd say, you know, what is your ultimate goal? If your ultimate goal, for example, is just money, I would almost say, you know, you could probably make a lot of money somewhere and, and have less stress than being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, maybe you should go be an uh, uh, investment banker. But it, in the same time, um, I, so I think that's the first important thing. Because if um, the second thing, I would say aside from their goals would be um, actually, I got to think about this actually a little bit term because that's a good question of how I would go back and look at that. But uh, I guess I would start there and that would tell me a lot about them. I'll, I'll kind of rescind that. Maybe I would kind of just start with the goals. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Cause right now you're in the education space. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you could tell us about what you do right now and then we can go from there as well. What, what is it that you do right now in your, in your business? I mean, you're a founder of your own business. So what is it that you do? 
Sure. Um, well, nothing very well, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I created was really a, an alternative, a modern alternative to the community college system. Um, so what I saw was that there was roughly 35 million working adults who are not taking the first step to go back to school. And so my solution is that in 60 seconds, someone can now come to our platform without applications, without entrance exams, and get started taking college-level courses toward their degree and unlock discounts at various universities, get all the support resources they need, and we do it all for free. And the goal is to make college more affordable and accessible for everyone. And I'm really trying to tear down all of the various impediments and hurdles and things that stop people from taking that first step. And that's what we've been doing. It's been going really well over the last, uh, we launched about almost two years ago and it's been a pretty fun ride. Awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, you've been in the education space for some time and, you know, been in the academic world for previously to that for some time as well. And, and, and myself as well, you know, and, and as you know, like one of the messages that I, that I teach and that I share on in my podcast and my platforms is that in terms of formal education versus self-education, that formal education is not always necessary, nor is it the default anymore because it cannot be. Right. And so I guess my question to you is, if you were talking to someone who was interested in entrepreneurship, would your, would, what, what are your thoughts on, on whether or not formal education is the path that they would go down in, in terms of carving that path, you know, designing the path towards entrepreneurship? I actually agree with you. I think that you bring up a very powerful and, and can somewhat sometimes be provocative point that, you know, people don't necessarily need the formal university system to be successful, be happy. And I think a lot of it depends on their goals. You're right. I think that in many cases, you know, you don't need a degree, especially if you're taking an entrepreneurial path. Um, I think that in some cases, you know, in some cases, and I think this would apply in general for people where they need a degree was, is if, are you going towards a career that necessitates getting a degree. So for example, um, if someone wanted to be, you know, maybe you want to be an entrepreneur in medicine, well, perhaps you want maybe being a doctor or getting something or a nurse first to get some practical experience is the best way to get there. Okay. That makes sense. But I don't think that there's a, like a university program that you can learn to become an entrepreneur. I think that that, even though that there are programs available in entrepreneurship, I don't feel that they would have, that they would adequately prepare you for what it is to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you know, this whole thing around the MBA, the masters of business, right? And I, actually I hear a lot of folks, you know, they come to me and they have been working for someone and that was, that's been their career path, but they've been feeling this tug on their heartstrings, you know, this desire, this newfound desire, and that's been there for a while now. So it's no longer newfound, I guess. And they're saying that, well, I think I want to start my own business. I think I want to become an entrepreneur. But then they say, right in the same breath, they say, well, I don't know if I have what it takes. I didn't do an MBA. I don't have the right training. So, you know, what, what, what are your insights on that in terms of MBA? Does that translate to entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's interesting. So, no, I view those as completely different pathways for two different goal sets. Yeah, I don't think that they... Now, that's not to say that an MBA doesn't provide some benefit if you're going to go and start your own business. Because I think that at the MBA level, they do teach you far more 
um, practical kind of pragmatic skills that get applied to business. You know, for example, you'd learn how to, um, you know, uh, uh, accounting and certain things that are important that you would bring. But in and of itself, nothing in getting the MBA would be a requirement to become an entrepreneur. And I, and I, so I would never recommend if someone just wants to go and start their own business to go get an MBA first. That would be like the last thing I'd recommend. In fact, the person I would recommend an MBA to is someone who is taking the corporate path. And if they're going up that corporate path, and a lot of time in the upper echelons of the corporate world, it's kind of like a rite of passage. You know, do you have an MBA? And, um, you know, especially in the finance world and in some of the executive world. So if you want to take that path, great, that could be a good, uh, that could be a good stepping stone. But in terms of if you're going to go start to be an entrepreneur, no, I think that there's far better things you could do, uh, to prepare yourself. Right. Right. So it's interesting. I love your story, like in terms of why and how you thought about this opportunity and how you launch your business, right? So you were basically answering a question and closing a gap in what's out there, you know, a pain point in most people can't afford tuition. So what am I going to do about it? Right? Because you have placed a high value on education. Right? So would you would you say that? uh, Would you say that answering solving a pain point or solving a problem out there is a really good basis for going into entrepreneurship or are there other reasons for businesses to start or to bootstrap a business? That's a great way to think of it. Yes, I agree. Because I think that one thing that when you're an entrepreneur that you should get very comfortable with. And one thing that kind of back to your point that I always try to encourage budding entrepreneurs to do is to begin having fun in in going through the exercise of coming up with business ideas. Because that's, it's the fun part, right? You get to come up with a new idea, poke holes through it, build it up, talk with other people. And in that exercise, you naturally get better and better at coming up with better business models that address better problems that have a higher chance or likelihood of success. And one of the things that I kind of typically see people falling into a trap of is um, solving a problem, like creating a solution in search of a problem. And so that was really antithetical, although could easily be misconstrued as identifying a true problem and fixing it. So that I think that when someone gets into the mental mindset of what business would I create? Yeah, a lot of it is looking at problems that you can currently fix. Um, and then if you find a problem, can you scale it? Is it you know, do, are all the other metrics of making it a good venture there? Um, the other thing I think that I really like is um, Tony Jay's uh, approach, uh, the founder of Zappos, which was you know, um, creating happiness. You know, that's, I think a very, also a very, you know, make, you know, if, if you make someone happy, they're a good customer. I think that's a good one. Um, although I think that just needs to be interweaved with um, finding a problem. And how do you, if you have a problem, well, how do you make people happier? Solving the happiness problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true. Because like in, in my case, I looked at, you know, when you and I were um, young, going in high school or finishing up, you know, basically the community college was one of those things that was always prescribed as a way to not only save money for college, but to um, prepare you for college. And the reality is, is what, what, you know, let's dispense with the merits of whether that was accurate then. It definitely isn't the case now. I mean, this institution is a government-run institution, which inherently means that it has no concept of a customer, right, of creating a good experience for someone. And it definitely means that they're not going to keep up as fast at the pace of the market, 
which is only what private enterprise can do. And so I looked at that and it was obvious that so many people are being disturbed by that entity. And this has nothing to do with the people in those entities, the professors and all the people. They're all well-intentioned and very intelligent. It's just that the institution itself is broken. And so, you know, it didn't really take, I mean, honestly, I don't really think it took that much to say, if I just focus on the customer and making someone happy, how can I make it better? And that's just what I decided to do. Right. So what are, what, what, is, what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced along your entrepreneurial journey when you first got started to where you are at right now? Are there, any, are there one or two that really, that really challenged you over the years? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is that when you get started um, and you're doing something different, you're going to face a lot of adversity. And um, so, for example, when you create something like my business model was uh, to make it free. And you have an industry in higher education that is in like, like any industry, heavily dependent upon different vendors and different services to um, provide the service that you do. And if you dispense with something like tuition, I didn't know this at the time, but almost everybody in that industry charges you a percentage of tuition. So I'll give you an example. Um, let's say there's, there's different software that uh, people make online. I'll tell your listeners, it's, um, if you go online and take a course, it's called a learning management system. That's what they call any software you use That's if you're right. learning online. So the most learning management systems in higher education will charge you per student a price of tuition. So I don't know, let's say it's $50 a student, right? So I remember when I was having my first conversations with them, I said, well, but we're not charging tuition. So how can you give me a flat rate? And uh, they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, we don't charge tuition. And it was, it, was, it was impossible for them to grasp that because tuition has become so synonymous. Mm. So I knew I was on the right track in that sense. Right. But at the same time, then he said, well, yeah, we can make something. How many students are you anticipating? I said, hundreds of thousands. <laughs> and so... Uh, it was a huge break. And so what, and why I'm going with that is that because of that, I had to create and basically almost make ours from scratch was something I didn't want to do and didn't anticipate having to do. It would have been a lot easier if I could took a, take a product off the shelf. So these are all kinds of things in adversity you face when you bring a kind of disruptive model to the marketplace. Right. Right. And so what were, if, if you can go back, if you can go back and tell your younger self something that you learned today, a piece of advice, what would it be? Well, this would be probably pretty far reaching. Uh, if I could tell, what would I tell my younger self? I'd tell him, uh, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think this is always a very personal question because I think what you do is if, if, you, if you're doing it correctly, you're always having uh, moments of introspection where you're questioning and knowing yourself on what you're inclined to do wrong. And I think one of the things that I'm inclined to doing wrong is relying that I will figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And I've, and I've, I've learned this lesson and I've learned to surround myself with great mentors and a lot of good people who will help educate me. And yet still, I still make that mistake today. Cause I think that, you know, back to your point of what, you know, what would you, if I was going to tell someone, if they were starting out, um, this kind of jog my memory to your earlier question, what they should do, I would say, start talking with other entrepreneurs and start learning from other entrepreneurs because there's no, there's no university course you can take. 
And those entrepreneurs as part of your network will save you from so many mistakes that you will inevitably make. Because only, you know, if you bring a business model to a fellow entrepreneur and tell them, they're going to say, ooh, um, that's not very good. You may want to change that. And they'll be polite about it, but it's going to be that little bit of advice could save you five years of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Because most people, the number one mistake they make is they want to figure it out themselves. Correct. I think that's, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of that in so many ways. And I can say, if I could go back to my young self, I would say, stop doing it. Keep finding good mentors. Yeah. I mean, and the ones that are the best are the ones that already have the result that you want in their business, right? Or if it's a career mentor, they, they have the career that you want, or they've overcome challenges that you're currently facing, right? And those oh, are the- 100%. The best yeah. mentors. <laughs> 100%. Because a lot of times, you know, there's so many entrepreneurs out there, but I think yeah. you're right. The ones that are the most, can provide the most uh, help and provide the, the greatest impact are those who've done what you want to do or have some sort of insight uh, that's, that's, that's shared. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So how long did it take you to realize, okay, I'm going to stop working. I'm going to stop figuring this out myself and I'm just going to find someone who can help me get there. Uh, it's a daily struggle. And you know what? And it's just because <laughs> in one side, this is like a nice quality I think that I have, which is that I'm, I'm down, I'm, I'm always willing to get in there and try it right and get it done. Right. But at the same time, I've become more aware that this can also work to my detriment to my own personality, which I think most people can appreciate that. Yeah. I will spend far too long down the rabbit's hole, making bad decisions or investing time when I could have easily picked up the phone to a mentor that I trust and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And he could have said, Grant, I think you're, I think you should pass or I think you're being an idiot. And that's very helpful. And that's of course what you want to do because I've learned so much from other entrepreneurs and they've saved me an immense amount of heartache, time, money, um, more than I could point to any other thing. Yeah. I mean, those conversations you can have with other entrepreneurs is like masterminding. Very much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, uh, as recommended by Napoleon Hill, what he found when he introduced, when he interviewed all those successful people, masterminding is one very important activity to get into because then with masterminding, you are as a group learning from people and you're not the smartest person in the room. And that's how you want it to be. That's how you want to design it. You're not the smartest person in the room and everybody in the room has gone through the challenges you faced they have the success that you want, the amazing result that you want, and they are able to teach it as well. So it's not, right, it's not, it's not sufficient to have the knowledge and to have gone through it. Some people are, ab- are able to get success and amazing results in their life, but they don't know how to convey the knowledge. They don't know how to pass over the skill, right? So it's really good to have, to have conversations with voracious learners and people who have amazing results, but also people who are able to teach as well and convey that. That is so mm-hmm. true. And actually, you know, I think what you actually just touched on, this is very insightful, mm-hmm. is going back to one of those key factors of, um, again, you know, what would you tell someone is that yeah. it, it would, it's absolutely detrimental if you, ha- if you come into this overly prideful or thinking that you know everything. Because at the end of, at the, end of the day, you don't. I, I, I kind of reflect, that makes me reflect on that um, quote from Socrates, which says, the only true wisdom is that you know nothing. <laughs> I think that's true. And in this case, it's, it's, a mastermind, you get an incredible amount of value, but it, it, but it's all about your mindset. You wouldn't, you may not even ever walk into a mastermind because you feel that you're too prideful, that you're not going to learn anything. Um, when the exact opposite is true, if you go into it open-minded into a room of people that have a diverse skill set, different skill sets than you, there's, it's a guarantee 
that they're going to bring a lot to the table that you didn't know. Yeah, that is absolutely right. I mean, when you look at, and and now I'm shifting gears a little bit, when you look at the state of affairs today, and now at the time of this recording is April, 2020, right? And we are in a recession, right? There's been a huge paradigm shift with the old habits of doing things, meeting in person, live events, going to schools and classrooms, right? And this huge paradigm shift, we're changing those habits to moving everything virtually and online, right? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What are your thoughts in terms of where the formal education system is going? What do you think is going to happen? What is your prediction? What are your predictions on what is going to happen with universities and the classroom, you know, post economic crisis? Yeah, I think that uh, it's going to expedite the absolute transition to online and ultimately the demise of many of the college campuses in throughout the country. I don't think many people realize a couple different facts. One is that higher education is a massive industry, $700 billion industry, yet it's in decline. Every aspect of it, except for online learning. And online learning is about a $50 billion subset of that that's growing rapidly. It's the only segment that's growing rapidly. And I think that what's happened is, is that in, the, in, the, in that industry, to transition online, there's a lot of adversity internally. A lot of professors don't believe or haven't or been reluctant to adopt online learning, which is silly because you could argue that in many of the careers, online is a superior format to learning than it would be in a classroom, far superior. So, so these, but these norms are changing. And I think that what's going to happen is with the, the, this, you know, this was already happening, but I think what COVID's going to do, it's going to expedite that transition. And it's going to condition more people into a new norm of being online. Um, so I think that's one definite effect. And the other thing is that I think people don't realize is that there are an immense amount of universities. If you were going to survey someone off the street and say, how many universities are in the United States? They may say 500, a thousand. There are 7,000 universities in the U S it's an enormous number. Yeah. And the likelihood that all of them stay afloat is infinitesimal. I think that probably what we're going to see is about 20 to 30% of those campuses are going to close. Yeah. And, you know, in, in some sense, that's very sad. In other sense, that's just, that's just the market and things have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know all the ramifications of what's going to happen with that, but I think for someone, I think what this does too, is this also the COVID crisis um, also accelerates a trend that's been happening, which is that the internet has ushered in an age of, I mean, freedom of information that is just unparalleled in human history and that we already need to start embracing. I mean, again, you can go online right now and learn to do anything. That's incredible. Fingertips at night, whenever you want. It's incredible. And I think that, that again, now with people sitting in front of a screen, I think that that will also expedite that as well. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a very bold question. Okay. You know, and the question is around the four-year college degree. Because we've all been programming, either been programmed our subconscious mind, be it by society, our parents, our teachers, or the media. We've all been told if you want a good career, you got to go to school, get good grades, so you can have the credentials and apply for a good job, right? This has been the, the framework for designing our professional future. So, given what we just talked about so far, what are your thoughts on what effect this will have? on our outlook on this four-year degree. 
how will it change the way we value that four-year degree? You know, actually, I think that in, in the short term, mm-hmm. I, think, I think in the long term, I think that you and I would probably agree that the, the, the value of the degree is not as pervasive through every career set in the country as it once was, nor will it be. Mm-hmm. However, I do think in the short term that with a lot of people who are likely going to be out of work and in a recession, there's probably going to be a surge in demand for going back to school because people are going to be looking for options. So I think it'll actually increase in the short run. I think in the long term, though, the die has been cast. And that the problem is, is that the, the university system is a very slow moving entity or collection of entities. And it never, it can't keep up with the pace of free learning. Uh, and I mean free, not in the financial sense, but in the, um, uh, you know, the open sense uh, of, of just taking ownership of your own learning going online. And more careers today are opening up that you don't, that don't require having a degree. I think it's very liberating. I mean, there's many careers that you can pursue that um, never touch the university system. And no one will even ever ask you if you went to a university. Like it, it's, it's not in the calculus. That's, that's going to increase. That's absolutely true. What about our views on education? Like I always say that our minds, we're actually not very good at assessing, at measuring, and analyzing value. We're not very good at that, you know, because there's, we can only process so much. But the thing is, if, in order to make it past this economic crisis, one of the things that we can do for ourselves to choose better, to, you know, to, to design better futures is that we can practice getting better at valuating things, you know, given more information, when we have more information, the value we place on things changes. Like for example, before the economic crisis, before we were all homebound, we might've valued a seat at the boardroom. But now people can't go to office anymore. And all of a sudden with this information, people no longer value the seat at the boardroom because there is no boardroom to sit in. So Mm. suddenly more information, we change our values of things. So in terms of our value on formal education, what is your, what is, what are your thoughts on, is there going to be an impact on that? How we value that as well? Well, this is, well, and this is of course biased, but I actually think that it shocks me that someone is willing today to go and pay what they're willing to pay if you go in the front door for a university degree. And I think that, um, because ultimately, I think if you were to just survey people on the street, a very large portion of them would say, oh, yeah, I'd love to have a degree. Why not? But it's that cost-benefit equation that, of course, um, either precludes them from getting one or disincentivizes them from doing so. And so I personally think that going that route is insane. I think that a degree is far too expensive the way that the system is. There isn't enough benefit in the valuation of information, what you can get outside of the system versus going into the system. I mean, essentially that was the whole impetus in creating onlinedegree.com was that I felt that it was overpriced and I'm trying to come up with ways to make it more affordable. So no, I do think that that is going in the front door. Absolutely. the case, And I think that's a main reason why we see so many people not taking that first step back to higher education. That I'm trying to bring that back into balance. But of course, what that's done too is in that high cost, Cost. What the, what's going to hurt? Show, which is ways to circumvent that system completely and still be very successful, be happy, and, and, and pursue that. 
solutions like mine, well, you'll be able to um, go that route if that's part of your plan or if you need it, and it's going to be far uh, at, a, at, a, at a much faster pace and at a discount. And maybe a few other things you can think of, but I, I don't think that, I think that going in the front door the way that people are going today is crazy. I don't think it will continue. Mm-hmm. So what are you excited about, Grant? When you look at the future of education that is coming, what are you most excited about? Uh, well, and can I answer this question, by the way, uh, outside of just formal higher education? Of course. Okay, great. Well, in that case, I would say what excites me the most is the decentralization of education. That is thrilling for me. Um, Maybe you could define that a little bit before. Yeah. You- so... Um, I homeschool my children. And the reason I do is because what, you know, before the industrial revolution, most people were homeschooled or, or you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't this formal concentrated uh, plan like we have today with the public school system. And what happened is because of, we can talk about all the intent, but this mass, mass, mass standardization of education, which was really necessary if you want to condition a lot of agrarian people to work in industrial revolutionary um, uh, industries and and, uh, factories, right? That's what was necessitated. But now at this point, we, the decentralization of education now allows for bespoke education for whatever you want to do and highly tailored for your belief system, what you want to learn. And that is thrilling to me. Mm -hmm. The fact that I can come in and craft an education for my children the way that I think is the most appropriate, pulling things off the shelf from everything online and making it my own and crafting their own plan all the way through without this large bureaucracy and the apparatus of the centralized system is to me, that's just thrill. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what would you say is a key distinction for you in terms of education? How would you define it and what's a key distinction about it? I think sadly where it's evolved now in the, in the, um, in the standard, you know, public system and what we have today, the, the institutional side, it's, it's very much focused on these benchmarks of, um, of standardized testing. Yeah. And it promotes a lot of bad habits, intellectual laziness. Like I don't feel that the current system fosters learning. Now, that's a weird thing to say, right? But I think learning and teaching yourself to learn is a different thing than education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's being missed. I think that um, it's inherent, I think inherently in the design of a centralized system, you're going to have the erosion of that learning to learn. And that's what I, I uh, that's, that's the issue that I, I, I would probably make the distinction I would make where I'm really teaching my children to, to on how to learn. How do you you know, if you're intellectually curious, which is another thing I think has to be taught, right? It has to be conditioned and helped and, and encouraged with children and with all of us. How do you teach them to go and to learn about anything that they want? Well, okay, here's the steps. And look, everything now is available for you. You don't have to go to a library like 30 years ago. You don't, I mean, you, don't have to, you can actually just go online and you can do it. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's interesting you, you mentioned it in terms of we have to be taught how to be curious and it's interesting because I just did a couple of training series in my alma mater at University of British Columbia, exactly on that, how curiosity is really the engine to career achievement, hmm. right? And, uh, yeah. yeah, and if you look at it since the beginning of time, we've had this war on curiosity, right? It's, <laughs> right. 
And, right. and, it, and it really perpetuated in the Western culture as well, the war on in this sort of like this hatred against curiosity. But really, my distinction around curiosity is having an eager form of inquiry. Right. So we have the spirit of inquiry and it comes from having being ambition. And a lot of human activities stem from curiosity. You know, scientific research is an example of it. Collecting things, being a connoisseur of things, even gossip, all of those things, a human activity stem from curiosity, right? And so we're not taught how to be curious. In fact, it's frowned upon. And I've been seeing that formal education has not been providing the training outside of the classroom, outside of subject matter on, on the things we need to do to become successful in our careers, including being curious and creative. We live in a world that's so friendly to creativity, and yet it's hard to be creative in the classroom. That's incredibly insightful, actually. I've never heard it described that way, that, that basically up until now, there's been a war on creativity. But as you said it, that is absolutely, I'm sorry, curiosity. Um, that's absolutely true, because you're right. For, for, for in a lot of ways, and to a lot of people, curiosity can be dangerous, especially people who want to control and who want to limit dissenting opinions. Curiosity, of course, is the enemy. So I think that's a fascinating way to put it, by the way. I love that. Yeah, and, 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 and what I mean is that in, in ancient times, even curiosity has been painted as a vice or an act of transgression. It killed the cat. <laughs> exactly. And even in modern language, we say things like that, which, which, point it, which paint it as an act of transgression, right? right? Even in the Bible, the fall of Eve and the, and the tree of knowledge, her curiosity was an act of transgression. Yeah. And so, yeah. So there's many examples like that throughout history where there's been a war on curiosity. All right, so I, just- I love the way you just, uh, that, by the way, because I've always, I mean, so when, one of the key tenets for, for raising my children is, um, is intellectual curiosity. And I, but I've never thought of it or framed it in that way. And I absolutely love it because that dovetails very well into a lot of my worldview thinking about the, the limits on curiosity. That's, that's very insightful. I love it. Awesome. So tell me about that. What do you mean? What are the limits of curiosity that you found? What, what are the what? I'm sorry? Limits of curiosity you mentioned. Oh, the limits? Is that what you said? The limit of curiosity? Oh, no, no. Um, just uh, the intellectual, uh, intellectual curiosity is what I've uh, wanted to uh, foster with them. Just, just the fact that they, because um, uh, like, like, again, I don't think that curiosity and, and I think it's incredibly important mm-hmm. and to foster that in their personality, I think is a key to their own success and happiness. So I've been trying to come up with ways to foster that, but I'd never thought of the paradigm of expressing it the way that you have. I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at the degree PhD, it stands for doctor of philosophy and philosophy is driven by, it must be driven by curiosity, right? Very true. Ambition to be able to look at ideas in different angles, you know, being able to inquire about things is building a philosophy around that topic. So PhDs are inherently supposed to be curious. <laughs> you're right. You're right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I think that's actually something that's also you're touching on that's often missed is that I think that people do not spend enough time developing their own personal philosophies. And I think that that leads to a lot of inconsistencies in their, uh, their thought processes, the, their lifestyle. I, you're right. I think I, I'm now it's funny too, because when I was in my twenties, I had this disdain for philosophy. I thought, Oh, it's just a junk science. And of course I was incredibly wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and now I realize how critical philosophy is and how it's really the, the, the foundation of everything. And uh, so you're right. That's, that's another good example. 
What do you think is the root problem of that? Do you think the root problem of it is that we, is it a thinking problem on our part? Or do you think it is that we weren't taught that? So it is an external problem that it, it wasn't introduced to us. Yeah, or is I think it something this is, else? Or is it something else? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I think about why I would say this. I think that we've all become products now of a centralized education system that has done us all a, a disservice. So I'm a product of public education. And I think that it's an awful education, personally. And I think that a lot of the things that are taught or were taught previously about philosophy are absent from that system. And so I felt like in one sense, I was done a disservice and that it wasn't even wasn't even learned. And then I think another problem today is that there is a, um, it's not revered in what we look at today. Like we look at someone like, oh, he can program Mm. Um, or he's an electrician. There's this very narrow skill sets that sometimes we value and and we we lack the appreciation for someone who's more of like that um, Renaissance, who's got the large picture and can um, almost like a product of the classical education where someone learns and you can put them in any setting and they will learn and figure it out. That's what's so amazing. And that's, I think, what's absent. I see. Yeah. So what are the next steps for you, Grant? I mean, you had this company, you're trying to make education, college education more affordable, right? And we talked about everything that we did. So what's the next step for you? Because you see the limitations of formal education. There are things that you're appalled by and that you feel have been missing all along. So what's the next step for you? In, in your business or in, in, your, in, in your mission? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of the things, because you're absolutely right. I think I, I see, I mean, I'm one of higher education's harshest critics. And at the same time, I'm possibly foolish enough to think that I can change a lot of them. And so I, uh, I've, that's really going to continue to be my mission is that I think that I can bring order and value to that system that will make it far more appealing to the people who need education. And, and by education, I mean that in any kind of education they're looking for. And so that's the big goal. I, I mean, I really believe that we are going to be that modern alternative to the community college system, a new platform where people can go and be far more prepared for college, um, lower the cost, um, ease their anxieties or fears about being back in a classroom, you know, key things that need to happen for that to be a viable setting. You know, we were speaking before about how so many people are adverse to even considering college now. And honestly, I don't blame them because if you think about it from the previous paradigm, got to go back to, I mean, think about it. I have to leave work three times a week and go to some regimented set schedule at a campus to do it. That's awful. Um, I have to, uh, this, the cost, um, you know, when you start thinking about this in the traditional sense, I wouldn't want to go back, but the reality is, is that a lot of that is changing. And so that's a good thing. And I can, and and so that's what I'm trying to, in in the platform, make available. Um, But I think your point is, but ultimately your point is correct. That even still today, the the marketplace is changing in a good way. And you don't need a degree for so many careers out there. Some of you do, and some you don't. Yeah, exactly. And it goes back to their goal. Like you said in the beginning, what is your goal? Depending on your goal, Formal education is not the default, but if you want to be a physician, if you want to be a criminal criminal defense lawyer, if you want to be an accountant, then you do need formal education, right? So it, it really goes right back to the beginning. You're right. That's right. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in that sense, you're right. If it is a, if it is part of that plan, then yeah, absolutely. But uh, but you're right. I, uh, I I will be the first to admit that I think a lot of people um, 
potentially can waste a lot of money uh, going down that path. If they, if they're not, if it isn't part of their goal. And like you said, it, it's just been it, because as a result of it being ingrained in us, that it's the absolute step that you have to take to be successful. And that's not true. Yeah. So we sometimes don't think about our reasons why we make a decision. Right. It's just that we make a decision, but we don't know the reason why. So I, yeah, it's important to, to know the why. Correct. Yeah. Well, if Grant, let's say people are listening to this, they're watching this and they want to learn more about you or they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah. Well, you know, they can follow, uh, just kind of keep up with the project, which is at onlinedegree.com. And, you know, obviously, but even if it doesn't apply for you personally to take advantage of, I think we are doing some neat things with some really good intentions. Um, and then uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. And so if they want to, you know, connect with me there, it's, you know, you could just search for my name, Grant Aldrich or the, the site online degree, and uh, I should come up. Um, and yeah, that's probably the best two places to do it. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure that I put those links in the show notes below. Thank you so much, Grant, for being on Career Revisionist. It was awesome chatting with you. 